So each day from the moment we wake up, we have choices to make. Some choices are simple, basic, trivial, while others require more thought and consideration. Some choices can change the course of your day, while others are nearly meaningless. But as we walk through the next 24 hours, there is one choice we'll make over and over again. Who will we serve? It's a choice of priorities, dedication, faithfulness. It's about choosing to live out the call God has placed on all of our lives, to take each step and live each moment for His glory. Today, there are never-ending opportunities for us to make an eternal difference in the world around us. We simply need to decide to do so. The choice is ours. Open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, just go to the middle of your Bible and just open it up right there in the center section, and you'll, close to the middle of the Bible is, is Psalm 90. Pray for Pastor and Mary. You know, sometimes you just have to get away to, to get out of town to get rest, and so you say, Brother Tim, where's, where's Pastor and Mary been the last couple of days? They've been asleep. Sometimes you just have to go and, and go sleep. Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is it's actually a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Most, most likely it was written during the wilderness wanderings in, in the book of Exodus. Scholars tell us of all the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms, Scholars tell us that Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm. But uh, keep, keep, keep in mind that Psalm 90 is, is a prayer, and Moses is praying this incredible prayer. The focus of, of the prayer is the eternality of, of God and the brevity of man. And for you and I to gain a heart of wisdom in order to know the difference. This morning, I, I want to jump into the, to the prayer of Moses and begin reading with me in, in the center of Psalm 90, verse number 10. We'll, we'll go back to verse 1 in our teaching of, of the prayer, and we'll see some of the end of the psalm. But I want to start with the, the middle portion of the psalm. Psalm 90 and verse number 10, the Bible says the days of our lives. Please put a, a note in your Bible. That's not the soap opera. You know, the days of our lives. Verse number 10 says the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, you know, you're, you're strong and you're healthy, they, they are 80. Yet, their boast is only labor and, and, and sorrow, for it is soon, very quickly, the Bible says, cut off. And what happens? And the Scripture says, we fly away. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. 
Here it is, the, the center of his prayer. Verse number 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I, I love that verse. What a, an incredible verse of, of Scripture. This morning, I, I want to, to look at the prayer of Moses, and perhaps you and I can gain some godly insight from this passage that we can apply to our, to our own life. Would, would you pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you for this time that's set apart to worship you, Lord, to sing your praises, Lord, to bring our gifts and our offerings to you, Lord, to teach and to preach the scriptures and to study the, study the very words of God. Lord, I pray today as we study this prayer that you would teach us, Father, the prayer of Moses, that you would teach us to, to number our days, that we might gain a, a heart of, of wisdom. Lord, help us to, to focus and zero in on the eternality of, of life and, and eternal things. And Lord, I pray, God, that, that the, the prayer of Moses would become a, a reality in, in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. What does the, the prayer of Moses teach us? Well, basically, there's three main points in his, his prayer. Notice, first of all, the, the prayer of Moses teaches us, and you, you may want to jot this down, the prayer of Moses teaches us that we should measure life in days, not years. Uh, the truth of the matter is, you and I have birthdays, but we celebrate them once a year. The Scripture tells us to look at verse number 9, so teach us to number our Days. So, in other words, this prayer is teaching us to measure life in days, not just years. L look at verse number nine. I, I want you to circle a few words in verse number nine. For all of our days, circle the word days, have passed away in your wrath. Verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years. Circle the word days. And verse 12, so teach us to number our days. Go down to verse number 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad. Notice, underline it. All of our days. Verse, verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. Unfortunately, we're Americans, and we, we seem to, to measure life by years. But the Scripture teaches us to number our days. I mean, stop and think about it. You know, we, we number our coin, our cows, our wealth, our revenue, our business earnings. But do we ever number or count our days? You say, Tim, why should we number and count our days? Would you, would you take your, your pen and write something down? And Can I give you a, a reality check? Anybody here need a, a reality check? 
Well, I think that we all need what I call a reality check. J- jot this down. I don't want to discourage you as we begin this message, but yet I want to be biblical. I want to be honest. I want to be truthful. I want you to understand the Scripture tells us, teach us to number our days. Why? Jot this down. You're going to live. You're going to die. And everybody's going to forget about you. Can I get somebody to write a country song on that? (laughs) Think with me. You're going to live. You're going to die. Oh, maybe once a year somebody might come by and put a flower on your tombstone. You're going to live. You're going to die. And everybody's going to forget about you. So today is, is all you and I have right now. Do it Today, seize the day. How how many professional procrastinators do we have here? The Bible says, teach us to number our days. Get it done today. Focus on today. Hey, yesterday, that's history. So many times we get paralyzed by the past and paralyzed by the future. Look, teach us to number our days Today, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now, right, right, right now. Now is the day of salvation. The Bible doesn't say today is the day of salvation. The Bible says none. N-U-N is the Greek word. Now, now is the day of salvation. Right now. That's what the Scripture says. Now, t- today, well, uh, f- first of all, the, the prayer of Moses teaches us to, to measure our life in days, not years. S- secondly, go on into the prayer of Moses, and the prayer of Moses teaches us to focus in, to zero in on the eternal. Man, I love, I love theology. I love the theology of the prayer of Moses. I mean, the basic theme of this book is God is eternal. Man is temporal, finite. Go down to verse number one. Look at God. The prayer of Moses focuses. He gives us a focus on on the eternal. Verse one, he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our habitation, our refuge. How long? In all generations. Throughout all the ages, look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed, or even given birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, what are those next three words? You are God. And I say amen. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is an unusual translation And he says in his prayer, the prayer of Moses, he says to God, you turn man to destruction. Some translate this word to dust. For instance, if you have an ESV, your Bible will say you turn man to dust. And to dust you shall return. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like or comparable 
are like yesterday when it's past or comparable to a very short, a, a watch in the night, something very brief. Would you write this down? This, this passage of Scripture is teaching us that man has an expiration date. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. God knows that expiration, expiration date. A lot of times I, I go to the store and I go get the kind of bread that my wife likes. I don't get the bread that I like. I get the, the bread my wife likes because I want to live peaceably thereafter. And so I look at the bread. My wife has taught me. She has drilled in me. I'll look at every one of the loaves and I'll look at the expiration date. I want to squeeze as much time out of that bread as I, I possibly can. Look at the expiration date. You know, that's a hard lesson to learn, that we all have an expiration date. Probably one of the most difficult lessons that I have ever learned as a pastor is that man has an expiration date. I never get used to it. In 1978, I pastored what would be my first church. When I was in, in seminary, in Bible college, some of the pastors asked me if I would start a branch church, just plant a church at the foot of Sand Mountain, Alabama, uh, and let it be a part of the Highland Park Baptist Church, was at that time the largest church in, in the world, and they wanted me to, to plant a church. I mean, I was maybe 20 years old, just a, a kid, hadn't been saved. I was saved in 1974, didn't grow up in church, didn't, didn't know anything, but I was about to learn that man has an expiration date. So I went and looked for a place to, to start a church. I mean, I don't know how to start a church. I don't know anything about church. You know, I'm just a kid. So I found a, a dilapidated, empty funeral home. I thought, man, this is great. We'll bring this place back to life. <laughs> Went in and looked. They had three or four rooms in it. They had, you know, the, the visitation room where they show the body. The ceiling had fallen in. Uh, they had no pews, no chairs, nothing. They had uh, a casket room where you walked through and saw the caskets, and they, they had an embalming room, and they had two bathrooms. I said, man, this will make a great church. We got pews in there. We got a piano. You know, they, they called it, you know, in San Ma they called it a piano, and we got the piano, and we got a pulpit, and man, we were ready to launch that first Sunday. We launched our service, and the people from the community numbered to be eight people. I was so organized. I had an or order of service. I was ready. I mean, this was a big day, launch day. I mean, first day of the church service, but I forgot about the offering plate. I've never made that mistake since, but I forgot about the offering plate. I told some of the guys that were there, go back into the casket room. Now, go, go back into the embalming room and find me a, an offering plate. We, we got to take an offering. And they bought me this, brought me this kidney-shaped bowl. It was kind of tur turquoise. And I thought, hey, hey, look, it's pretty deep. I don't know. This, this will work. 
And they began to pass, pass the offering plate. When it got to Mrs. Powers, who was, you know, she was over the, the post office. She was postmaster. She, she wouldn't touch it. And lo and behold, I found out that it was a, it was a bedpan. <laughs> My first church service, first offering plate was a bedpan. And I learned so much, so much of that year. Fast forward. This is, this is a little chapel, little, little church. And, uh, you know, it was such a, a great year. So many people saved. And I wasn't even ordained. I couldn't even baptize the, the converts. And it was just a, a, a learning experience. But I, I began to learn that man has an expiration date. One year later, we celebrate our one-year anniversary. At Sand Mountain, Alabama, they call it homecoming. I said, well, what are we coming home? We've never been here before. You know, they, it's an anniversary service. And, and so I got on the telephone and called Alan Poe. Some of you all remember Alan Poe at the Old Souls for Christ Baptist Church and said, Alan, would you come and preach our anniversary service? And he said, yeah. I said, can, can you come early? On Friday night, I want to have a bonfire and, you know, a youth activity. You can give a, a message there out in, on this farm. And so he, he came. We had the bonfire and, man, they were teenagers saved. Yeah, it, it, was, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was incredible. I saw a kid over there with his hands in his pocket. His face was rather chiseled, dark black hair. His name was Stevie Burns. And I went up behind Stevie, put my arm around him and said, Stevie, don't, don't you want to get saved? Wouldn't you like to, to accept Christ? And he said, you know, Pastor Tim, you know, I'm going into my senior year and there's some other things that I've got plenty of time. Maybe I can do that in a couple of years. You know, I have, I have plenty of time. And I said, I left it at that. I, I couldn't make him get saved. Lo and behold, Sunday morning rolled around. I went to the funeral home or church early, so to speak. And there in the parking lot, I saw a car, a small car, with an entire family in the, this little small car. It was Stevie Burns' mother. She got out of the car and ran to my car and she was weeping and she buried her, she buried her head in my chest and said, Pastor Tim, Stevie is gone. Stevie is gone. Steve, and some of the brothers came and helped her back in the car and the, the family spokesman or the older brother came and told me exactly what happened. On Friday night, Stevie went home from the youth activity his brothers were drinking. They were partying. You know, he was just a, maybe an 11th grade. And they were making fun of him for, for going to church. And, and they, they were drinking. And they were pushing Stevie around, you know, from one another. And they pushed him here, pushed him there. One of his older brothers and Stevie got into a fight. His brother's name, his name was Dumas. He picked up a two-by-four in the middle of the fight. And he swung it as hard as he could. And he hit Stevie right in the middle of the forehead. But he didn't re realize there was a nail or a spike in that two by four. And the brother who was telling me the story says, they told us at the ER that Stevie was dead before he hit the ground. I can't tell you how this traumatized me. I mean, I'm just a kid, kid preacher. I learned that man has an expiration date.
they asked me to do the funeral service, my first funeral. By the way, my friend Kirk Thompson back in the back was at that funeral service with me, and he was with me at that anniversary service. I learned as a young man that man has an expiration date. Let me tell you something. You're going to live, and you're going to die. God help us to focus on the eternal. Stop and think with me. Do you know there's two sides to every coin? I know we talk about heads and tails, but I think of eternal and I think of temporal. God help us to focus on the eternal. Why should we focus on that expiration date, the eternal? Can, can I just give you some insight from the, the prayer of Moses? Maybe, maybe four insights. I'm not sure if they'll be on the screen or not, but you may want to jot them down. Let me give you an insight. Look, when, when you learn to number your days, you'll gain a heart full of wisdom. That, that's what the prayer says in verse 12. So when you learn to number your days, you, you'll gain a heart full of wisdom. Number two, jot this down. When you gain a heart full of wisdom, eternity comes in to view. Wisdom always brings eternity into view. Wisdom is learning to live in light of eternity. Amen? That's the, the fear of the Lord. On the other side of the coin, humanism brings the temporal into view. And the temporal will rob you and I of the eternal. Did you know the temporal is a thief and a robber? God help us to keep the eternal in view. Let, let me ask you a question. The, the, the past couple of weeks, I don't know, I've had, I've had a host of people come by my office, people that are discouraged. Let me ask you a question. Look at me. Why do people get discouraged? It's because of our earthly circumstances, right? Wouldn't you think that's a pretty oversimplified answer, but it's, it's probably the, the truth because of our earthly circumstances. I've never had a man come to me and said, Brother Tim, I'm, I'm discouraged because of all that I'm going to gain when I get to heaven. Why? No, we don't think like that. We're looking at the other side of the coin, and we had the temporal in view, and our circumstances that are temporal in this life, we're focused on. Think with me. I mean, think with me. I know that's hard for us to do in American culture, you know, to be critical thinkers, but, but stop and think with me. What's, what's our, our problem, the temporal, temporal and, and the eternal? How can I focus on the eternal? Can I help you? I promise you, this has helped me more than anything in all the world. Three things you can do to, to focus on the eternal. Number one, think biblical. Oh, God help us. The temporal wants your mind. But if you think biblical and you're in the word, you will think eternal. You'll, you'll think about today. You won't procrastinate. You'll, you'll think about now. Stop and think with me. The, the Bible says in Psalm 118, 
Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Today, not, not tomorrow, not yesteryear, today, the tyranny of today. Think biblical. Why, why do we get discouraged? Let's look at me. We, we focus on the things that we can't do. You ever done that? I, I think that's the insanity of just being a, a human being. You know, I, I can't see my children. I can't see my parents. I can't see this. I can't do that. I can't do this. Look, you're setting yourself up for what we call frustration, anger. What should we focus on? Focus on what you can do. Kind of kind of seems logical, doesn't it? Huh? I mean, what can you do? Put aside what you can't do. What can you do? How can you be proactive? How can you think biblically? What can you do today? But we get focused on the things we, well, I could sit here and think, man, I'd love to be able to climb and, you know, be like Spider-Man and, you know, climb and touch that light up there. I can become so overwhelmed by that and become so frustrated, get so discouraged of the things I can't do. Look, you're wasting your time, energy on the things you can't do. Think about the things you can do. Think biblical. N number two. Number two, think growth. And I know, I know we're Americans. And I, I love America. Please do not think I'm, I'm probably the most patriotic person in this room. But think growth, not so much goals. I've seen so many people reach their goals that's it. They stop growing. Think growth. That, that's what verse 12, look, look at verse number 12. That's the principle of verse number 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Would you circle the, the word gain? Can I, can I tell you the Hebrew word can be translated grow? Teach us to number our days that we may grow a heart of wisdom. In fact, if you have an NLT translation, that's how the word gain is translated, right? Anybody see it? It's translated the word grow. Think, grow. Oh, don't stop growing. Personal growth. Move forward in your life. Think biblical. Think growth. And then, then number three, please don't, don't get mad at me. You're not going to get mad at me, are you? Number three, think invest. This is kind of hard for us to swallow because we're so temporal. Think, think and invest. Let me ask you a question. Am I? Am I adding significant value to anyone else's life? Ask yourself that question. Here, here's the problem. Listen, listen to me carefully. Please don't misunderstand me. If life is all about yourself, 
if life is all about you, really you make a poor investment. Oh, I, I know we need me time. I understand that stuff. Please, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't. I just talked about growth, didn't I? Huh? Personal growth. That, that's the only person you can grow is your, yourself. Think growth. But, but think investment. Life is not all about you and yourself. Paul said, I die daily. And my question is to you this morning as we think invest. Who am I investing in? Hey, God's left you here for today to think, to think growth, to think invest, to add significant value to somebody else's life. It's not so much all about ourselves. Well, the prayer of Moses teaches us to to focus on the eternal. Number three, jot, jot this down. Are you mad at me? Look at me. I'm sorry if I offended you. Don't, don't be mad at me because I don't want you to miss this, this third point. The prayer of Moses, number three, jot this down, teaches us to focus on the work of God. Think of how the Israelites saw God work during those 40 years in the wilderness. I would like to take the time this morning, can't do it, but do a series. Look at all the miracles that God performed during those 40 years and this wandering, you know, the wilderness wandering. But the problem was, I think Moses saw the miracles, but I don't think the people saw it. I don't think it registered. So he, he's praying for them. Go, go down to, to verse number 16. You know, some, some people never see it. Moses is praying that you and I see it. Can I ask you a question? Do you, do you see it? Look at verse 16. Underline these words. Let your work appear to your servants. Can I tell you when I read that, that lights my fire? I want to see it. Let your work appear to your servants. And I think about all the miracles they saw during that 40 years, but yet they really didn't, they really didn't see it. I see people all the time. There's miracles that occur in their life all the time, but they just don't, they don't see it. We don't recognize it. Would you underline that phrase, let your work appear? And then verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord, let, let your work appear. Verse 16, that word appear has the idea of becoming visible. It's also translated make me see. And my, my question to, to you is, can, can you see it? Well, if you're living on the temporal side and not the eternal side, you're, you're not going to see it. Can, can you see what God is doing? 
Did you know that this phrase in verse 16, I, I could translate, I would translate it verse 16, make your servant see your work. That's what he's praying, that you and I would see God work. Do you see what God's doing? I just don't think sometimes it registers here. Look at me, section A, you're all section A, look at me. Do you all see what God's doing in this place? How about B, C, D? Do you all have a clue what God's doing at LNBC? I'm telling you, I'm seeing things God, I'm seeing God do things I've never seen my entire life at LNBC. And the hardest thing to do is to communicate what God's doing so other people can see it. Because most people just walk in, you know, we pick our nose, pick our ears, pick our eyes, you know, we just, we don't see it. How, how many of y'all really see it? Do, do you, do you see it? Well, go on down to verse 17. Look at it. Not only does he say, let your work appear. He says, verse 17, let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. In, in, in my study notes, I have a fire, fire. It, it sets me on fire. It circles the word, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. That, that word beauty is the Hebrew word noam, and it's the concept in Hebrew culture. It's the, the concept of favor or favorable. This Hebrew word is found, it's found seven times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Three times in your Bible, in our English translation, it's translated the word favor. Look at it. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Let the favor of God, the favor of the Lord be upon us. God help us to see his work. God help his favor to be on us. I, I did research on this little Hebrew phrase, verse 17. Do you see that word up on us? Would you circle these words? Oh, my word. This, this Hebrew word, can, can I quote from the Hebrew lexicon what this phrase means? Can I quote it to you? Am I, am I boring you? Jot this down. Look, it, it, it's translated. Here's what it says. That phrase, upon us, it means over us, beside us, behind us, above us, around us, against us, alongside us, about us. May the beauty of God and the favor of God be all over you and I as a believer. Look, do you see it? Do you see it? Let thy work appear to your servant. And when you see it, and God is up on us, God is up on us. That side of the coin, that eternal side, it comes into clear view because we're gaining, we're growing in wisdom. Look at verse 17, and we'll stop. Is, is Matt Surgeon here? I think he comes to the second service. Matt told me I had to stop at 10 o'clock. Matt, yeah, there's Matt. Matt, so I'll, 
Let, let me hit on this, man, then I'll stop, okay? <laughs> Verse 17. Here's what happens once we, we see his work. And once his beauty is upon us, his, he is upon us. Did you know God's work will become our work? What else is eternal? God's work. Look at the word play in verse 17. Verse 17, he says, establish the work of our hands for us. He repeats it. Yes. Establish the work of our hands. You can draw a, a, you know, you can draw a line up to verse 16, that phrase, your work in verse 16 needs to become our work. And when the favor of God comes on us, it's established in our hands. Hey, God's given you and I the work of God to do. And there's nobody else he's given it to do. Will we pick up the mantle? Look, if we don't see it, we'll never pick it up. If he's not on us, if he doesn't empower us, we'll never do it. And we'll never establish it. And when our expiration date is called, we've lived a life and the coin will say temporal. Temporal. Well, this morning, I'm going to close. The prayer of Moses teaches us to measure your life in days, not years. Number two, focus on the eternal. Number three, focus on the work of God. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we might gain or grow a heart of wisdom. Live for the eternal. Live in light of eternity.